I do love uh, the I do love the good classic roller coasters though that they don't really have in Disney that much. But yeah, I love the crazy roller coasters too. That's more like six, with six Flags kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Goliath, Superman. I can do all of them. I have no issues. Except for my little brother Michael came with his wife to visit in the Bay Area, and we went to Six Flags over in East mm-hmm. Bay, mm-hmm. and. Um, we got on this ride, it a, I think it was a Wonder Woman, and it's like this hanging disc on a pendulum oh. that swings back and forth, and you're sitting around this disc, and so while it swings back and forth, the thing spins, and as soon as we get on, the, and there were no lines that day, and we got on, and the, the operator was like, hey guys, great, great, you guys get extra time on this today because there's nobody waiting, and they just kept it going. And kept going and kept spinning. And we're just, Michael and I are just sitting next to each other like, oh my gosh, when is this going to end? Because I, I don't get, I don't get like motion sickness until that ride. We both got off of it. We're like, make it stop. Because it just kept going. And they're like, we're going to keep you going. And we're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we both come out and his, 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 his wife made the smart decision of, you know, not getting on it. Um, and we just got out of there and we had to like sit down for a while and like go find some food because we're about we're feeling nauseous and just like oh my goodness, <laughs> get some water but oh my gosh I'd never really felt that until then I was like oh this is what people mean oh my <laughs> word it was horrible oh my goodness so bad I remember the first time I got nauseous on a ride it was very funny I think we were eating in Disneyland Paris and after eating, we went into the teacups. Oh, great choice food. after the food. <laughs> yeah, and I was there with my older brother and my father in a teacup because you, could, you couldn't fit five people in a teacup. So I was there with my brother and my father. And my sister and my mom were sitting in another one. And you got to turn the wheel yourself, right? So my brother's like really getting into it. And my dad's like cheering him on. So they're both like going at full <laughs> speed. And this thing just kept swirling and swirling and swirling, and all of a sudden, nothing. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> you lost your lunch? <laughs> I lost my lunch on the teacups. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, hopefully, uh, it all spun away from you. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. That's horrible. <laughs> Um, welcome back to Should Be Common Knowledge. We're back for another week. I'm um, here with uh, Jonathan. Hey, guys. And JP. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Welcome back. It's been a while. And, of course, I'm Luke. I'll be the moderator this week. We're going to have an awesome show. For those of you who don't know Should Be Common Knowledge podcast, check out our website, sbckpodcast.com. We just love to talk and you just love to listen, so just tune in. <laughs> We've got some good stuff for you this week. <laughs> um, let's start off with uh, Jonathan this week for our person, place, or thing. Take it away, buddy. All right. Uh, thanks, Luke. Yeah, so person, place, or thing, as we know, this segment we come up with something in one of those topics and the other two don't know about it and we're just going to see if anyone has heard about it and just learn a little bit about a new thing so we've done a few people we've done a, I think one place so today today is like kind of um technically fits the bill of a place and a thing uh it's not one specific place but it is uh something that I hadn't really heard about until recently which I think is really cool and it's in a it's in a country and and then spreading it's in a country I really want to go visit um, have, have either of you heard of something called the Jazz Kissa? Nothing. Kissa? Yep. What Sounds like you... it's from New Orleans or something. The jazz part, yes, but what do you think the Kissa words come from? Is it Scandinavian in some way? No, wrong direction. Oh. Hebrew. No, keep going east. Is it Japanese? Japanese, yes, that's correct. Cool. So what this is, and in America, it's sometimes called the hi-fi bar, where it's like starting to spread over here. Um, but basically, it started in the 20s back in uh, in Tokyo with jazz. Um, there were these cafes, and they got popular through the 20s and 30s until World War II happened when all American music and things were banned. And so people tried to hide their vinyl collections um, from the government in Japan and after the war, these places became popular again, really popular through the 50s and 60s. So basically, 
what it is, it's different than a, a regular bar or cafe. The whole uh, cafe is basically, they really take it, uh, make an effort to design the space for acoustics in mind. So it's kind of a, a ritual where you go in, have some tea or some coffee or something, and you you get to listen through jazz LPs and see people sit there for hours listening to them through basically rare vintage sound systems designed for these cafes. So and it's not about going there to talk so much or about the, the drinks. It's more about you're going there and they have these curated collections of vinyls and you go there and you listen and people stay there for hours and just listen to albums while, they, while they're playing by the staff, basically. So it's, it's not like really a DJ. It's just like, it's a whole theme. Um, and they've spread, they're starting to spread through the world. They're called hi-fi cafes here. And you'll see them. I know there's some here in the Bay Area and there's some I read about in Denver and some other places. For all of you audiophiles that love jazz or love vinyl, um, I would love to go to t Tokyo and experience this or maybe find a place close near you where they're doing this. Uh, and I'm sure there's different variations on it from, you know, different concepts worth more food or different things. But the whole idea is it's centered around the music. And I was reading about some of them and you see like these images of these amazing spaces with a whole wall of vinyl and amazing sound systems. Well, follow that little link I just put in our chat. Are you, Luke, okay. are you looking at that? I did. Yeah. That's These pretty awesome. Amazing. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. Just a quick Kyle Google Floyd. search on it. I found, uh, we'll put the link, what we're looking at here. We'll put that in, in our socials. There's a whole article here on these. This is amazing. They look fantastic. I would love to go see this. Oh, and they're, they've got these old Sony sound systems. Yep. Uh, Vintage sound systems. The amplifiers still have actual tubes. Oh, wow. Back then, they even recorded some jazz bands would like come record in these um, places as well. So they get the right ambiance and the right acoustics. But yeah, this link that JP just sent out has, shows 10 or 15 or so of, of the top ones and when they were founded, mostly in the 60s and 70s, uh, some back into the 50s, uh, kind of when it started like ramping up again after World War II ended. Because they had access to, you know, with the with the US military there and they had access to get albums again. So it really kind of took off. And so now, yeah, you can look up hi-fi bars or jazz kissa near you. I would love to experience it. It'd be pretty cool. Oh yeah, this looks so fun. This is, oh, okay, this is new to me. Two of my favorite things, little restaurants, bar with uh, with jazz music. I mean, can't beat that. And vinyl, that sounds, which I yeah, love. Yeah, that sounds like a fabulous <laughs> evening. Awesome, good call here. I love this. This yeah, is that's awesome stuff. Definitely. And it's the best. It's the best on vinyl. Jazz is like made for vinyl. It's, it's perfect. Love Luke, it. I see that I have converted you fully to vinyl now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He recently started collecting. <laughs> actually, two couple weeks years ago. ago. Yeah, no, a couple of years ago. But actually, two weeks ago, I went out and had myself a nice little day where I just went to the record store, and ended up spending way too much money. Always like coming home, coming home with like an amazing collection again. I got some Chris Stapleton. I got some. Who else did I get? Michael Jackson Thriller because I just needed to Classic. have that. Classic. Oh, have to have. Yeah, just needed to have that. And uh, you know, for our hip hop heads out there, Dr. Dre, two thousand one, just just needed that. Just needed that. And um, my wife was. Uh, oh no, my brother-in-law is here, staying with us. He's a big fan of Dire Straits, so I had to bring home <laughs> Band of Brothers. Yes. I mean, come on, Brothers in Arms. It was awesome. Pretty oh, cool. Yeah. So I brought those home. Fun thing, fun thing to do. I Band love doing that. Fun. I love doing that, and I always love to think, because, you know, if I'm going to own something physical of music, I'm gonna, you're going to be looking for the best of, you know, a certain genre or the best of that artist and, you know, start with those. And then I always try to add on, like, a jazz record usually if it's used or something cheap just because i love like building my jazz collection so but i've got a wide variety of taste in my vinyl so <laughs> that's good it's so much fun so much fun the only downside is for as much as i've moved around to different apartments in san francisco is moving them because they are heavy oh <laughs> yes Agreed. and storing like them that. so they're accessible i have a whole bunch in storage too but i have a small collection here with me in my apartment but i have a whole bunch that I, 
I've got in storage. But yeah, I love it. So fun. So yeah, so that's that's this week's person, place, or thing. I just thought I'd take you to a new place. I guess it's a thing and a place, like I said, in Japan. And I would love to go see it in person. Well, awesome. you know, this is like perfect. This is the perfect segue for what we are going to cover next because it gets me in that mood of, hey, I want to go travel someplace. <laughs> I want to go see something. So I get the the actual uh, topic today. And really, just Pause. trying to think. Does Luke get to introduce you? <laughs> oh, does Luke get to introduce me? He can if he wants, but I, I think we're in it now. <laughs> <laughs> we're in it to win it. Yes. Oh, yeah. but we're just going to roll with it. It just flows in so nicely. And so really what I want to talk about today, I was just trying to, you know, thinking of a bunch of different topics, you know, because we really, it's, hey, whatever gets us jazzed or whatever gets us interested in talking about, because we just get excited about what we're talking about and we just kind of run with it. And this could, I mean, we could just turn this into a travel, a travel podcast and we'd be more than happy, but Travel, but, food, music, you know. Yeah, so I'm like, travel, <laughs> food, music, you know, the things we like to do. So what combines all those? And so I started thinking about places, and the way I remember places is typically by the food. And most often, it's the street food, okay? So I see street food, and uh, I tried to think of what is my favorite street food. And honestly, okay, I think I do have my favorite street food. I'm going to save that one for a hot minute because it's a it's a powerful subject, this particular street food. <laughs> there are people that are very uh, pro and con about this one. We're going to hold off on that for a minute. But I was trying to think, okay, what was my introduction to street food? And it's kind of odd because it's not the street food now I consider, you know, what I would really think is my street food. But I remember... The first time my father took me to Europe, I was probably, I think I was about 15, maybe-ish. And, you know, as one does in Germany, you walk up and down a lot of streets for hours on end, following your dad around into a lot of old cathedrals and churches, you know. But one thing I found was little ice cream shops. And they're very specific, just the Italian ice ones. And I'm not talking like Italian gelato, which I love and is one of my favorite street foods of all time, if you want to consider it a street food. Um, this was Italian ice, and they had, you know, their little cart. So what I'm going to consider street food is any restaurant that either has a cart out on the street or maybe they have some indoor dining, but they serve out of a window as well. So you can get it at the window passing through the street, you know. But I found this Italian ice was a thing, okay, and it was ice cream served in the size of like a melon ball scoop. I mean, it was no bigger than a, a quarter, each flavor, and they put it on a little waffle cone, a little tiny waffle cone, and they'd stack it like four or five or six flavors high. And literally one bite, you could finish a whole flavor. But it was like a quarter a, a scoop, you know? So I learned, uh, I'd eat this, and then I'd be at the end of the block, and it's gone. But there was another shop three blocks down the way, and I'd get another <laughs> one. And then uh, a cousin introduced me to spaghetti ice, they're like, oh, you oh, like yeah, that? that Try good. this. They take basically a ricer, the way they make a spatzel. It's almost like a garlic press, okay? But it holds or about... a meat grinder. Yeah, meat <laughs> grinder kind of thing. They put the vanilla ice cream in there and squeeze it out so it comes out onto your plate looking like spaghetti. And it's like a they, Play-Doh machine, you know, where pour, it comes out. Pour strawberry syrup on top for the spaghetti sauce and hand you the plate of this. And my little like whipped cream mind was blown. I'm like... I can eat spaghetti ice cream in Germany. This is wild. Okay, so what else <laughs> do they have? Okay, well, you know, so that's my introduction. You know, that was my, oh, people sell stuff on carts on the street. A little different than, you know, the cart of hot dogs in a city, major city down in America. You know, I'm like, okay, this is different than a hot dog cart. Okay, not to say that there are some great street food hot dogs that you can get in the States. Or elsewhere, uh, we want to. I'm sure we'll talk about Sweden later and their love of the hot dog. But you know, that's my introduction. But I've got so many more, and I I could share. A, I've got a million anecdotes and stories about my favorite food, and you can tell I'm getting excited because <laughs> the way I associate a place is you say a place, and I'll be like, oh yeah, this food. That's what I had there. That was my favorite thing I ate there, and that's kind of how I associate it. You know, you say Japantown to me, 
in, for San Francisco, Japantown, it's a ramen bar. That's, that's the food. That's what I love. Um, so curious, Luke, you know, coming from where you come from, Netherlands, <laughs> what, what is, I mean, there's so many options. What, what is your favorite street food or, or is that just normal to you? It's just food. But to us, to be able to get great food on the street is kind of a novelty. And now it's becoming more and more common with food carts and all, all food those trucks. types of things. Yeah, yeah. Trucks, say, yeah yep, the food trucks. But that's the thing you, that happened. You kind of right? grew up with the little uh, shop probably on the street that's, you know, uh, the little halal shop selling a donor kebab, which, you know, that, that was that's, at 4 a.m. That's the one at 4 a.m. <laughs> always tastes better after three. <laughs> Do we want to dive into donor kebabs yet? Do we want to talk? Do we want to I go think, there I yet? think, I think you're going there too fast. Maybe we need to uh, <laughs> roll it back a bit. Bring minute. it back. Bring no, it back. The first, the first, let's start with the first, um, first street food I ever tasted. And that's what we have. We have snack bars. So you just walk in like you, like, uh, we talked about, uh, one of our earlier episodes, the frikandel I was talking about, that's street food. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, croquette, which is, these are very, fried stuff is always good as a street food. So what we used to do is that you go to the snack bar and it just has fryers and then it has, you can get fries, you can get, the first food I ate was fries and you get it in a, a newspaper rolled up you get your fries in there. You get your sauces in there. That's the first street food I ever ate in my life. Uh, and then after that, it became Frikandel, which is like a um, meat bar made out of different kinds of meat. Uh, and then they split it open. They put in mayonnaise and ketchup and curry ketchup, actually, with onions. And mm, amazing. Really good. At croquette, what we usually do is it's a um, veal stew, ragu almost. And then it's rolled into uh, panko and then deep fried. So that's really good too. And that's, that's, we usually eat it on a sandwich. So we will flatten them and the ragu starts pouring over the sandwich. And then you just put some mayonnaise on top and that's, you just eat it like that. Those were my first street foods. But I definitely <laughs> feel what you're saying. Like street foods, wherever you go in the world, are very different. To us, that was street food, and we would just have a shop, and it would have a wall, and you would just put a coin in back in the 90s, and then you would take it out. But in America, street food, I think, evolved a lot later into the food truck scene. Yep. But I think Asian food is just street food. Everything yep. there, they just eat on the street. You just see that. So that, yeah, that I was think, my first, yeah. I think um, not to knock the hot dog off, you know, uh, like dismiss it. I think it's actually a big part of it. The hot dog stand um, here in SF, mm-hmm. we have countless. Um, what should I say? We have countless. Like, um, are you trying not to be derogatory to the dog? Well, we call them danger <laughs> dogs. <laughs> uh, the, the hot dogs on the street. So there's like a whole like uh, troop of folks after any baseball game, any. You know, the show's let out down by Union Square at Christmas time, wherever they have these little stands that they set up where it's a little cart with like a cooking tray on top, like a like a cookie tray. And they've got a heating underneath and they just cook on top of there. And there's these bacon wrapped hot dogs with um, and they're cooking onions and peppers and things on the side. And you can just smell this whole waft oh, of ama- good. amazing goodness. But it's cooked on the street. Nobody knows the hygiene. Nobody knows. So we call them danger dogs is the nickname for them. Um, but they're amazing, especially like, you know, at 3 a.m. or something. Yeah, but, right after um, a Giants game, walking back. <laughs> I mean, come on. But everyone, oh, yeah, it's amazing. So that's kind of like, you know, definitely a visible. But also, like, going back even further, like, I lived in Denver for a long time, and we have a very big breakfast burrito culture there and a very big tamale culture there. So I remember many times walking to work, financial district downtown in Denver, and you got the lady there selling her homemade breakfast burritos and tamales out of a cooler to all the commuters walking to work. And they were just amazing, you know. So, Or I had a lot of the um, Hispanic guys walking around with the carts selling the mangoes. They carve up into like a shape of a flower and put the put the uh, spices on there. Or they get the corn, the elote with, the you know, all the spices and the mayo and cheese all written. It's like... Oh. 
they, they used to stroll through my neighborhood in front of my house and then brought time i'd run out and be like i want some corn you know it's like <laughs> yeah, well that was a mindset i'd forgotten about that when we were looking for our you know our first home to purchase in salt lake driving through the neighborhoods we found this guy literally pushing a garden cart it was a wheelbarrow around the neighborhood and we pulled up we were like whatever you got we're buying and it was this elote that was just amazing. And we we're like, okay, if this guy's in this neighborhood, we're finding the house. And he was there for about another year until the neighborhood kind of ran him off, unfortunately. You know, uh, but it was one of the Brock uh, food, you know, so, something great, you know, I <laughs> some culture. It. Yeah, it's uh, great. Oh, he was Flavored. great. <laughs> the problem was you could never find him when you just wanted some. You just it happened to had to be happenstance. You just happened to have to look out your window, see him walking past the house or be driving home and pass him. You're like, oh, pull over because it might be months till I see him again, you oh, know, yeah. which is kind of what about that? And so part of I think with the street foods is that act of discovery. Uh, where you're not expecting something and you come upon it. Um, I mean, I think we might as well dive into this here now is, uh, you know, yes, the hot dogs, tacos, that kind of thing, and the ice cream, those are all good and dandy. But my first real experience with street food, real street food, I think, was uh, when I was living in Romania. It was a cold day walking up, up and down a street and came up to this little shop, and they had that... It was the donor kebab shop, which I'd never heard of before in my life. You know, kid from Utah, walking the streets of Bucharest, Romania, and you see this, you know, this nice flame wall going on with this rotisserie with all this meat. And all the guys with me are like, nah, dude, you don't want that. That's <laughs> the mystery meat. They call it the mystery meat. You know, and I'm like, no, this looks good. I've, I've got to try this. And oh my goodness, my life was changed ever since. Um, I mean, <laughs> I am on the eternal quest for the best donor kebab. The like, stars align and fates happened and Jordan like, was on a quest. <laughs> yes. Like if I see one anywhere, I've got to try it because everybody does it so differently. I have to, I have to interject here. Okay. Best donor, donor kebab I've ever had. Berlin. That's what I hear from a lot of people. And I've never been yeah. to Berlin. So best Berlin ever. is awesome. Go to Kreuzberg. There's the, the, the Turks know how to do it, uh-huh. and it's there 24-7, 24-7. It's just open. It's just open all the time. I went there, and I was like, I wasn't expecting anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's Derner Kebab. We have Derner Kebab. I had it, at I think it's the best time at, like, 11 p.m. Uh-huh. On, onwards until, like, 4. <laughs> <laughs> That's the window to eat Derner Kebab. <laughs> And it was the best I've ever tasted. I yeah. went back that same night. I had it at 11 and I had it at 3. <laughs> see, see, and what I love, though, is every single one you get, uh, you know, the ones in Romania I tried, they did it with a pita, and they actually split the pita open and stuffed, like, the pocket, you know? And so that's mm-hmm. what I assumed all donor kebabs were like. And then I go to Switzerland, and they have it on this great roll, and they split it open and put the stuff in there. And everyone's got their own little take. You know, some are more onions, some are some carrots, more fresh tomatoes. Some of the sauce is lava in your mouth, you know. I think maybe explain a little, like, what a dinner kebab is. Like, for not all audiences, no. I mean, it's in, in America, the closest thing you could probably recognize is a euro. It's very similar to that, um, but not quite. But because we don't always have a dinner kebab shop here, but they do exist. Um, yes, but every that's true. Every country has their own version of it. Mm-hmm. I lived in but, Sweden. What they call kebab is not exactly what like what the Turks make in Germany. Different folks from different Mediterranean cultures making different food, but it's all called kebab, and it's all pretty tasty. But <laughs> my my favorite thing in Sweden is they do a pizza version of it, and it is like oh, it's divine. It is to die for. <laughs> so it's called the kebab pizza, and it's like you know it, you buy your own. It's thin crust, and everybody eats their own. And it's got like kind of a version of Euro meat, like what well, they call it, kebab meat, all over the top with like the sauces and cheese, and they put the onions and tomatoes, and then they do a spiral of white, white garlic sauce and then awesome. a, spi- and a spiral all around of like a red sauce, little yep. spice, but not too bad. And then, oh, it's just like heaven. Uh-huh. <laughs> and everyone has their debates like, who has the best kebabs in Sweden? Like, who has the best kebab pizza in the towns? Have like everyone has their opinion, but, you know. <laughs> but that's the thing. So, that's my quest when I'm in Europe or tra- if I see a kebab, a donor kebab, 
Like I pat, there was one in Salt Lake last year. I saw a shop said donor kebab. I'm, Wait, what? Breaks back up, pull in the parking lot, go get one. A plate of disappointment, but I had <laughs> to try. Okay, so of I, 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 I've got to just try because I get off a subway, or if I get off a train in Europe, all I do is I hunt for the best donor kebab. I see one, I just have to, you know, it's it's a constant kind of, you know. Uh, <laughs> The it's, man with a mission. It is. And it's kind of, you know, uh, it's just like my thing. And what's fun is, because um, it's funny, like friends in England, like uh, my buddy has a, uh, literally a donor kebab shop outside of his house. Yeah. Ooh, nice. And he's like, I've never eaten there. I wouldn't touch that for a million years. Yeah. And I'm going wrong. in every day coming back. <laughs> Got another one. You know, <laughs> he's like, what? He, like, you know, uh, <laughs> oh, just to be careful. That's the thing. The only thing you have to be careful about. Sometimes I've seen it. I used to walk into this place at 2 a.m. after the club, and you would see that he would have cut the meat already, put it in a pan, yep. and then they call this they call this thing a salamander, where it's like a heat yeah. plate, and, and they just put it, it in there, and then just let no, it in there for like half an hour. I'm like, no, no, give me the fresh one. I need the fresh one. Cut it for me right there, you know, right then and there. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not having it. No, I want it on the fresh cut. Like, I yeah. want it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I never go to the guy that's got the huge one. The huge, yeah. because his, he, that means his has been sitting there all day. He's yep. not selling anybody. You want the guy who, at the same time, he's got this much left. <laughs> who's, who's scraping through that just everyone's coming in and out of the door because he's oh, got yeah. the best kebab in town. You know, oh man, the, the one dude that looks bored standing there next to that big, huge one. Nah, yeah. pass, pass. Poking his nose while he's uh, <laughs> getting you donor. So tell us, what is your ideal dinner kebab? What what makes it great for you? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's just like I don't, I don't care if it's a pita or if it's a bread, more like a sandwich, um, or like Jerusalem kebabs in Stockholm, uh, where it's deconstructed. It's thrown on the plate, plate on top of fries. Yeah. Which yeah. is, you take something that's amazing and put it on something even more amazing, and it's doubly more amazing. You know? Oh yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know that if there is, ever is a best kebab. It's just I want to try every one to prove that I'm still searching for it. Well, what do you like like shawarma, chicken shawarma, oh, falafel, like TV. all those different um, variants? There's a debate. There's a debate right there. Shawarma, shawarma. So in my in Holland, not a kebab, people, but shawarma. You know, shawarma. Some people so think they're like the, the same. I'm like totally different. But that's the thing. Some places you go, you get a shawarma. If you go to Europe, and you get a shawarma. It might be what you think is a kebab. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the kebabs are cubes, cubes of meat. Yep. And sometimes they're more like the shawarma, where it's more like shredded, uh-huh. almost. And by, I think the shaver. shawarma, the true shawarma to me has a pickle. Mm-hmm. Has the pickle, um, but um, see, but I, I, I'll, I'll take a good shawarma any day. All, I'm all about it. But mm-hmm. I mean, where you go to like fun is, variants, like in Paris, I had this one with the lamb carved, uh-huh. and it's just like pieces of actual meat just carved off of the. You know, they stack yeah. it up and turn it, so it's not like the euro meat where it's like. Oh, I don't press the euro meat, and so. But then they the throw fries. They throw package. fries in there too, like oh, fries in there with the meat and the sauces, and it's in like a, not a split pita, but like a roll, like a like a flatbread, mm-hmm. you know, um, curled around. Like oh, you know, so many different ways. Now what's fun about it is, so then uh, a buddy Matt uh, went with me to uh, on a Europe trip. Um, you might have been on that trip. I'm not sure, Jonathan. Um, so introduced Matt to donor kebabs. Okay. And he was hooked, okay? Unbeknownst to him, okay, this was going to be our target, the topic this week. I got a text two days ago of a donor kebab. Um, <laughs> Matt was in uh, Munich. Because he's in the club now. He knows. And he, he's like, I've been dying for a donor kebab for 15 years for a good donor kebab. You know? And he's like, I finally went back to Europe. He was in Munich and sent me a photo because he knew I would appreciate <laughs> that. You know, some um, people share pictures of their kids, and some send donor kebab photos. What's <laughs> so, funny? Yeah. So I have, and then you sent me a picture of one uh, the other day. From I did San Francisco. So 
it, it's crazy. Kind of, you get in this little club of, Hey, we're in the know. We know, you know, and then everyone's like, what's a donor kebab? Wait, you've never had one. Are you nuts? Uh, you and, and to be clear, one. it's usually called donor in Germany in okay. most, well, well, certain countries, not every country in Europe, they add the donor. They just call it kebab. Like even in Australia, you'd go get a kebab. Or I think kebabs like more Zealand. like the meat, not in a sandwich. Well, like in Australia, a... in Australia was different because they would actually like put the whole. They'd be in in a wrap, and they would put the whole thing in like a panini press and grill it, yeah, and press yeah. it, and it's then they serve it in a sleeve, and it's like it's good, but it's definitely different than what you're going to get in Germany or Sweden or Holland or mm-hmm. other places. But everyone has their own variant, but some version of kebab. You know, so it's funny though, because you were talking about that pizza that you had in Sweden. Mm-hmm. I remember right outside my college, they had a Turkish food truck, and they would do a Turkish pizza. So it'd be almost like a pizza dough, but more towards like pita pita mm-hmm. dough. And they would have some red sauce, and they were pre-made like that. Uh, and it was a little like dry the, the red sauce. It wasn't as wet. Oh, I think I've had one of those. It's a Turkish thing, right? Yeah. Like a flatbread with a stuff on. I think in Turkey they call them durums. Yeah, yeah. I had one at a, at a like a farmer's market in, in Australia, a Turkish stand. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah, they would do that. I, w- I would have that for lunch. I would go there at one or something, and they would cut the kebabs off and spread that all over and do something similar with the garlic sauce and the red sauce. And then you could do toppings however you want. Like you can do the lettuce, you can do the carrots, everything you want. And then they would roll it up and you would just eat it as a roll. It was the best, the best ever. It's, I loved it. I loved it. It was really good. Ooh, yum. Well, and so, and see, and so inviting people into that club and sharing, that is one of my favorite things to do as far as, you know, like people will say, oh, you've been to Paris a bunch of times. Where should I go? And I don't say, hey, this is what you need to go see. I go, this is what you need to go eat, um, <laughs> where you need to go. And so even uh, researching this, uh, I, I've got a favorite little street in the French Quarter. Uh, I know, Jonathan, you've been there uh, yeah. on Rue Muftard. And as you walk down this street, uh, and you can find this, I've seen it in Borough Market in London as well, where they have the rotisseries out front with all the chickens you know, on the little rotisserie. Oh. Uh, and this is one of my favorite. You know, it's a cold day in Paris. You're walking. And you see that rotisserie, and then at the bottom of the rotisserie, they have a pile of fingerling potatoes, little tiny baby potatoes that are just sitting there in all the drippings from all the chickens, uh, just dripping on that. And you just go say, hey, I just want a little bit, and they'll just scoop a scoop up and put it in a paper bag. And then you just walk down the street eating these hot, oily little potatoes. I mean, I tell people, go walk this amazing street. It's got amazing food, amazing views, smells, and people. Be sure to pick up yourself some of those little potatoes and just and enjoy, you know. And I've sent so many people there, and everyone has loved it. That yes. thing, though, I just prior to hopping on with you guys, just to make sure it's still there. It's it's actually the Portuguese butcher shop on Rue Muftard, and I went on the street view, and in one view it's there, and if I move forward about ten feet on the, you know how you can walk on street view, mm-hmm. it is gone, Mass, and yes. now it is a touristy, gaudy confectionery. Selling candy. Boo. Boo. Yes. <laughs> Boo. Maybe a, maybe a failure of COVID. It's no longer with us. But there are many others like that similar on other streets nearby. It's, it's just a fun thing. You know, I, I, that's what I do. And I tell people, okay, now when you go to London, you've got to go to Borough Market. Walk around the market and try some crazy things. You know, it, it's one of the best ways to travel and see a place. Which, Speaking of the, the street in Paris, like, like I have to bring up the hot press grilled long baguette style uh, oh, paninis they have oh, there absolutely. are amazing. If I can't find a donor kebab, uh, the panini, just the pre-made, they, you know, you pull it out of the cold case, say, hey, I want that one, press it up for you nice and hot, hand it to you, you're off and running. Oh, fantastic. Love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, especially in Paris on a fresh, nice French baguette. Nothing better. I had a I had a good one when it comes to street food. Uh, the place I used to work at, when you joined, they always asked someone what their favorite fried dough is. Ooh. And fried doughs are perfect street food. So 
Oh, yeah. In Germany, you have the, the beignets or Berliner Bowl or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, we have something similar that we eat around New Year's. It's called an Oli Bowl, which means an oil ball. And or donuts. <laughs> Close to a donut. Donuts are still like a dough, right? So you have to like really put it into a dough. What if it's more of a batter? So ours oh, okay. is more of a batter that gets kind deep like... fried with mm -hmm. raisins in it. And then it's, it's oh, okay, kind of like gotcha. the Berliner bowl. Or and it's it, like it, the Danish, like, Evelski first, like in the cast iron egg cup thing. They're round. Yeah, so good. With jam. Oh. Very close, very close. So we don't eat them with jam. We eat them with powdered sugar. And there's you get ones with raisin or without raisin. And it's the delicacy for New Year's. So New Year's in Holland is champagne with uh, the Oli Bowl and... Uh, that's that's how you celebrate like New Year's. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> Man, I could do this all day because good thing I ate before and it's late. So we're okay. should be should so be hungry. common should be common knowledge. Follow us for all your health tips. <laughs> it just reminds me like living in Bucharest, like right at the top of the subway every night coming home. It's called the Gugosh, uh, if I remember that correctly. If I'm saying it right, um, and it's essentially. You know, they take a ball of dough and they have this huge vat of oil and they have like 30 of them floating in this big vat at any point and they just take a fork in it, like pull it out um, and just turn it over once so it gets nice and brown. So it's almost like a German Berliner, but no jelly filled or anything. Yeah. But then they pull it out and they roll it in another big bowl full of a really grainy sugar. It's not refined. It's kind of grainy. And then they just put it on a wax paper, you know, hand it to you and, and you're off. And that, you know, that was my goal to stay skinny was having two of those every night on the way home. Like you couldn't, you know, and it was literally free. I mean, it was like 10 cents. You know? so, awesome. You know, awesome. Well, that, you know, that'll like, oh, I'll take two. Why not? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And, and uh, Jonathan actually introduced me to uh, Bob's Donuts in, in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, a classic you would, staple. <laughs> you would walk down Polk Street at 2 a.m., and everyone's coming out of the clubs is just walking into Bob's. Oh, yeah, a fresh the donut. line down the street. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> they have okay. that thing there called the buttermilk bar, which is not a raised donut, and it's not a cake donut, but it's like a deep-fried buttermilk dough, I think. And it's like, oh, I, it's hard to describe the texture, but it's crunchy on the outside and like kind of cakey inside. But, oh, man, with like a, a maple glaze or chocolate or, oh, man. Yeah. Well, then I would and consider hot free I'll ask him what's hot, you know, what's fresh. And it's like, oh, so good. But I would almost consider then, uh, like, uh, you've taken me, and I would consider this a street food. Every time we go to Chinatown in uh, San Francisco, uh, getting the uh, the banquet rolls. Uh, oh, the... the um, Is oh, it yeah, a banquet so, roll? So it's an Eastern Bakery in, in Chinatown, and it's called the Cocktail Bun. Cocktail Bun. That's so it's a, it it's a oh, white, my goodness. It a is white so bread hot roll, always served hot. And it's got like a... It's not, almost like a... Like a marzipan texture center, but it's not marzipan. It's coconut, yeah, but a paste. And it's it's not cooked all the way through, so it almost feels like doughy hot, uh, doughy on the inside. It's like, it's like you were baking some rolls and took them out ten minutes too early. So there's still coconutty, gooey inside. So good. Like, oh my goodness. Like, yeah, I would consider that street food. That's fantastic. But uh, Luke, you brought up, you know, heading out out of the clubs at night. Okay, this was one that got me. Okay. <laughs> So in Sweden, uh, in Stockholm, with Jonathan and our buddy Mike, I remember this the first time in Sweden for me. Jonathan had been living there for a while. And uh, apart from the whole you go into a club, it's daylight, and you come out at 2 a.m., and it's still daylight. Uh, that was kind of weird. <laughs> in the summer, While yeah. we were in the club and rose again. But to see girls in high heels all dolled up to go to the club eating these foot-long hot dogs, uh, I was just like, you would never see that in the States. Any of the girls I knew in college wouldn't be caught dead eating a hot dog. Okay. In <laughs> girls in Sweden, you know, no problem. Stuff and, it in. and, you know, because their mustard's a little bit different and that's a long skinny hot dog that extends past the bun. Oh, the bun uh, is then, short. It's like the size of your hand. Yeah, and, then and the then hot dog it's goes. enough to hold it, you know, and then they put the, uh, the French fried onions on it too. Oh, like the crispy uh, fried onions. Yeah, the crispy fried. So they do like oh, nice. one squirt of ketchup, one squirt of this, like the, it's kind of a sweet, tangy mustard, and then uh -huh. and, the, and then they do the fried onions. And it's, and it's like, like the perfect hot dog. It really is. Oh, it tastes fantastic. And it's, you think a hot dog's a hot dog. 
It's not. It really isn't. It's totally different than anything you would ever get in the States. Everyone has their version, I think, which is. And which is so cool because, you know, you go to Chicago, you get a Chicago dog, you know, which is so distinct to Chicago. Um, Go to Berlin and get the curry first. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Over fries. (laughs) You know, that's what makes it so fun is that travel is a journey through food and smells and tastes that, you know, just. And that's how I kind of think of places. Um, okay, so I'm going to do this one. I've got one for you, Jonathan, okay? I'm going to give you a place, and you have to tell me what food I'm thinking about, okay? Okay, let's try it. Okay, we're going to try this. Gamlestan. Uh, that's in Stockholm. That's the old town, Gamlestan. And uh-huh. what am I thinking about right now that I want because it was so amazing? I mean, there's amazing ice cream there with the fresh-made cones. Bing, 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 ding, ding. (laughs) There you go. First choice. Describe this to us. Uh, I smelled this place three blocks away and followed my nose to it. The old town is this old medieval part of the city, and it's still intact. And you go through there, and it's all walking streets, no cars. And you're wandering through the main shopping street. It's like through the old town. And... It's touristy shops and different things and stuff. But like as you're coming along, there's this ice cream shop that has this in the front of the window. They have the window open in the summer and they've got this huge apparatus with like this person who sits there. Um, They've got all the batter and they've got like a series of um, basically waffle irons that rotate around. And so they as they cook the waffles around and they come by time it comes back to them, it's ready to take out and they roll it into cones. Right. And the smell just fills the whole old town. <laughs> and it's just this amazing, like, smell of waffle cones. And they, you know, if they mess up, they've got a whole little basket there of broken pieces you can try. And, yeah, they and just ice cream's them out amazing. the window into the street into a basket. Yeah. And the smell just carries for blocks. <laughs> you know, um, the, I just remember that cones, smell yeah. of that waffle cone and just following that for blocks. And now when I think of the old town in Stockholm, like, that's my association. And it's strong enough that I just told you a place and you were <laughs> able to guess the food I'm thinking. And you and I have not talked about this for probably 15 years. No. <laughs> no. Okay. So, I mean, that's how powerful this is. That's what I love about it, that it oh, really yeah. does put a stamp on a place for you. Because I think once you, you can go to a place and enjoy it, but once you put the smells with it and a taste and a flavor and an experience with, you know, and part of it's all, who, who's with you. Uh, what friends are there? Who's with you to enjoy that? And that kind of puts a stamp on it that, okay, that now in my memory bank, that's not something I'm ever going to forget, you know? True. What else have you guys got? Any other, anything else we want to follow up with? I wanted to, to talk about that, the, the, the association of smell, food smells, and like memories. Mm-hmm. I might be taking it a little off path, but we'll circle back. I, when I was growing up, when I was six years old, I was the person in the household that would get the bread. Because at the end of my street, there was a bakery that would open up at 7 a.m. every morning. The baker would start at 5 a.m., of course, but the bakery would open up at 7 a.m. So at six years old, I would get myself up at 6.30, shower, get dressed. Mom would leave money on the counter. And I would walk to the bakery, which is at the end of the street. I would probably always end up being there five minutes before it opened. And you would just stand outside and you would see the condensation on the glass. And just, you know that it's like steaming hot in there and it's going to smell like bread. And I just opened that door. I never forget that smell ever in my life. Opening the door of a bakery that just opened has all of the bread just coming out of the oven. Oh my God, that, that was like one of my favorite memories ever. And this guy would bake, I don't know if he would just do it for me, but he would bake miniature loaves about the size of your hand. And he would give me one every single day. And I would pick out the inside of the bread because it was so nice and so fresh. I would just eat it like that. I would bring that home. And if it was, if the bread was too hot, he couldn't put it in plastic bags. He had to put it in paper bags that had to leave open and the steam would come out while I was walking home. This is like one of my favorite memories. I think <laughs> you can tell how oh, yeah. passionate and excited I am. I would take that little roll home, that little loaf, and I would stuff it with cheese and then eat the rest of it with the crust. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good breakfast. <laughs> I just needed to put that in there because that just reminded me. The oh. smell that you were telling about, uh, 
the cone, the waffle cone, just reminded me of that bakery. Oh, it takes you back. And I think that's such a, I mean, in SF and different places, sometimes you can walk to bakeries and things, but that's largely in America a culture that people don't have where you just buy your bread at the grocery store and for the week and blah, blah, blah. What? Where you grew up and like, I know my family in Germany, they walk to get their bread fresh like that in, the, in their little dorf, their little part of town. And it's just, you're like living for the day and getting fresh things, good quality, amazing smells and food. Oh, I wish we had more of that all over America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted, uh, now I'm like, man, I want a pretzel. You know, yeah. even like in, in, the, in the train station in Germany, you have like, just like these real fast walk through like, Mm-hmm. Yep. Pick up snack places, and they have those pre-made sandwiches on pretzel bread. Yep. With like amazing cheese, even the butter is like amazing, and they have like the, the great cold cuts on there, and it's just like, mm-hmm. and that's just like you compare that to like some little thing in like in at the airport here or wherever, and they have those crappy little triangle sandwiches mm-hmm. that are crap in America. <laughs> uh-huh. Just like. It's, you nope. can't even compare. <laughs> no, nope. not at all. Well, they've got, like, what is it kind of in, in Switzerland? Uh, like, I've done this every time I go up into the Alps for the day because it's so expensive to eat anywhere in Switzerland. Like, you go into the supermarket and they have, True. it's kind of like a pretzel bread, but it's kind of a braided, really. Kaiserbrechen? I don't know what it's called, but I just see it and go right to it. And it's a big loaf. But it's kind of braided a little bit, but it looks like pretzel bread a little bit, but it's not salted on it. You know, you grab that and you just grab some random cheese and a little pack of meat and throw it in your backpack and head to the mountains. And, you know, there's lunch. That was breakfast lunch for me for the first 25 years of my life. It's like that's what we eat on bread. It's just we Uh get bread and then we get cheese and Mm -hmm. more cult cuts and Mm -hmm. Sometimes we like to mix it up with other stuff, put it on there, like some spread or something, and then put the cold cuts on top of that. But that's that's about it. That's what we ate for breakfast and for lunch. Yeah, and that's my favorite like thing Sweden. about Europe is breakfast. You go down to the hotel if they're serving breakfast mm-hmm. in the hotel. It's five different kinds of amazing bread, mm-hmm. cheese, twenty different slices of cheeses, a bunch meats. of different crazy meats in. Mm-hmm. S- like, and if you're in Switzerland, they have also like quark and like the yogurts yep, and the, the, and oh, the, uh, the yogurts that's and the, the only thing. muesli. Yeah, that's that's oh. the thing that I want like in America is like quark. It's not, I can't find it anywhere. No, I did find, find Swedish fill milk the other day, which is that like fermenty kind of thicker milk, which okay. is like a pourable drinkable yogurt kind of thing, but not yogurt. I found that the other day, but I haven't found quark. No. I think the closest yeah, we, thing you can get is skier. I think they get skier. They have that too, the Icelandic. Yeah. Yeah. It's so oh, good. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it, it just really, it's it just to me, like that is my favorite part about, I think the travel is just being able to really experience a place through their food and just cement that in your memory. And it's just, you know, I'm going to be forever stuck on finding the best donor kebab, you know, and every time, and, and I think I might be setting myself up for a lifetime of disappointment because every time <laughs> I found one in the States, I've been sorely disappointed. Um, but, you know, it is what it is, but I'm not going to stop trying. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if I find it, I'm going to go. Well, I think awesome. it's um, I think it's a pretty universal thing uh, because, like, we've talked about a just scratch the surface on a number of countries and places. But if you think about when I was traveling through Africa and Ghana and people walking up to you with their wares on like food and things on their head, like at, at the intersection selling you food and, or if you're going to, I'd always love to go to India, but I know in South Bay, I've been to a lot of chat places. They sell like the savory street foods and snacks that they sell from there. Um, all different regions of the world have their own version of street food. And it's, I think it's just one of the great joys to explore and experience. And like JP was saying, gives you those, those memories and connections to a place. And it just yeah. like really makes me want to travel more. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Like going to Spain, you just want to have paella where it's like a steaming hot pan that they just put oh, outside. Yes. You're sitting outside eating that paella. It's like amazing. And same when you go to Italy, like pizzas or something like that, they're different, right? They're different from the ones we know in America. Those those kind of things, going to a Weihnachtsmarkt in Germany, oh, yeah. markets, mm-hmm. 
that's where my favorite street food is, like kartoffel puffa or Leibekuchen so or whatever they call them. You know, different regions have different names for them, but so good. Spätzle, everything is just. Uh, um, yeah, just you saying that just brings back so many others. And I'm like, oh, I think uh, just, you know, uh, raclette on the street in Paris, you know. Um, or I'll say if I think if I think of Basel, I remember the best pretzel I've ever had in my life in, in Basel that had Gruyere melted on top of it. Like, oh, it was the, oh, I mean, <laughs> two of my favorite things in the world here. A wonderful pretzel with freshly baked pretzel with Gruyere cheese all over it. I mean, come on, the, the, how, how does it get any better than that, you know? Hey, what was your th- my favorite thing about Basel? Uh, forget the city. Their pretzels were amazing. It was a pretty town as well. I, I did enjoy, you know, but, uh, you know, but that's what's so fun is because it just cements those, those places in your mind. Um, oh, yeah. Permanently. And I, I mean, I have, I have memories of crepes underneath the Eiffel Tower off the street. Like just That's, everything. We should just you know. start a book. We should just know, start right? a book, a travel book, but not about travel, just about the food and where to get it. Oh yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, <laughs> hey, so tra- coming travel, soon. Travel to the by stomach. Merch shop soon. Um, <laughs> JP, Jonathan, and Luke get fat. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna do wonders for my diet. <laughs> <laughs> We're on. It's on. Let's do it. Love it. Okay, well, that wraps it up for me. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us with that because uh, I could talk this all day long. So I'm going to go ahead and finish it up and back over to you, Luke. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That was an awesome episode. We learned a lot. We learned about street foods of Europe, street foods in America. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you again next week. I'm signing off. This is Luke. And this is JP, I mean Jonathan, oh, you, stealing you, your thunder. You're, you're me today, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> JP, not my name, but anyway, over to Jonathan as well. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Peace out. Bye-bye. All right, that was awesome. That was fun. That was fun. Oh, yeah, it makes me want to go out and eat. <laughs> Seriously, good thing I ate before we did this because I'm like, oh. Uh...